0: Hello, bonjour, Nihau Come stash this is John James and welcome to Champagne Strategy. This is a red pill business podcast which deconstructs world class strategy focusing on growth, marketing and sales with just a sprinkling of tech and champagne. Anything in marketing media is just, it's nonstop. It's not like other industries which are maybe a bit less dynamic, but it's just, it's a constant communication nightmare. It is.
1: And it's really having that information flow and you need lots of different sources for that information flow to, to get good optics to really, and it's probably nearly like the, the crux of today's conversation in many different ways.
0: I think we're going to talk about the agency dynamic and where you see things kind of going wrong a bit and extending on kind of what we talked about last time.
1: I just had sort of my rant that I was sitting there post a couple of client meetings and I was just, like, oh, and you were one of the few people that I just had to express myself to and
0: well this came out of i think i'm doing this thing on measurement which was a bit of a guide in terms of just the politics around measurement and how that affects regardless of who's doing the work and how that affects decision making for the better or for worse and how really good objective measurement is politically dicey territory because you know what are we measuring does anyone care about it anyway so it was all sort of based on that and i was trying to create this guide for people going this is last click, this is multi-touch, this is MMM, this is kind of an econometric kind of modelling. But really, at the end of the day, what question are you trying to answer here? And Does anybody care or is willing to listen to the answer and all the politics that goes around with that? So,
1: And there's, there's a lot of politics uh, that go into it, and especially when you're looking at client side. So you've got a marketer or a CMO, they want evidence that supports their decision making has been great and we're doing an amazing job and I'm awesome and I deserve a pay rise and security and everything else. And that's the story they're trying to tell to the executive team. And then you got the executive team that goes, no, I want to get rid of all the BS and I want to understand what's really going on. Are you doing a good job? Are you not doing a good job? So the challenge is is whoever's really supplying you the information there typically has a narrative that comes with it to support that we're doing a good job. You're engaging a search agency. Of course they're doing a great job, but what are you really looking at? Are you splitting out the branded terms from the generic or how are you actually measuring this thing? It's really hard to get clean optics that give you a great scoreboard of what's working, what's not.
0: And even internally, maybe in your organization, like every employee does this. I think I look from incentives. I call them filters, communication filters or truth filters. They all get filtered. And it's kind of like Chinese whispers. The further away you are and the more filters in between, the more filtered the reality is to the top decision makers. And they can can be completely unaware of, of what's going on. Even internally, you've got employees, like, are they going to report that something didn't work out or they've done a bad job. No. So I think the good litmus test for me is what is the openness of the culture to talk about things how they are or the appetite for failure or just really frank conversations of stuff that didn't work? Because as we both know, a lot of marketing stuff doesn't work, but it's sold on the promise that it will solve all your problems and work and be awesome and amazing. And, you know, we'll go from this land of sunshine and rainbows. But like in my experience, a lot of it's just abject failure or mild positive result.
1: But my opinion, that's what marketing should be. It's this constant testing and learning and moving towards what does work and what doesn't. It's not thinking that I'm going to have a 95% strike rate. Like it's, we're going to hit everything out of the park. And and it's interesting you say that because I've got two different clients, and I'll I'll speak metaphorically about two different clients. I have one that is going absolutely bananas. They're taking market share like no tomorrow. I look at the leadership of that team, and they are so open, and they know that everything is a test, and we're going to learn, and we grow, and we're going in the right direction, and they're open to hearing this didn't work. Leadership, I'm open to failure. All of a sudden, full transparency all the way through. That worked, that didn't, that was okay, and look at this. This is just a home run. Management go, wow, this is amazing. Thank you for the open. So you've been transparent. Another organisation, same industry. Everything must work. Then you've got this massive filter of any information that looks bad or grey or indifferent, it gets excluded and they're just showing what works. But the leadership team is going, hang on. We're not picking up the same market share or we're not even moving at market pace. Why? You're telling me everything's great when clearly something's amiss. So I actually think it really comes down to leadership of having this open or encouraging failure in a way to really understand what's working and what success looks like. Because unless you've got that open communication, you're not going to get there.
0: Placing in startup world all the time. We we call it the growth mindset. And I think this is one of the hallmarks of, of the tech industry if done well, <laughs> there's a lot of caveats to that, mm-hmm. versus traditional industry, right? And, and you have traditional political hierarchies. It's that sort of second scenario, I think, that you just mentioned. And I think, again, this comes from a tech world, but it has permeated to other organizations. They're few and far between, but it does happen, where it is a test and learn environment. It is just like, well, we all don't know what we're doing, but we'll find out, and some of the stuff will fail, and we'll learn quickly, and we'll know not to do that again or at least exclude things that we know don't work from the possibilities of things that may work. And it's all about, okay, doubling down and iterating on things that have worked rather than always constantly looking for something new and these big sort of moonshots that have a high failure rate.
1: It is, but this comes to my point of diagnosis of the core issue. You've got to diagnose what is holding us back and getting there. And that usually takes a lot of persistence of why, 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 and going several layers deep, if not four or five. Give and, me an example, and when like,
0: like in a campaign example level or what are you talking about?
1: Look, here? I'll give you an example right now is, is we've got a, a brand that's not doing as well. And I can see very quickly like what is holding us back but they don't even want to go there and try and diagnose the root cause of the problem because they've sold this into the business and they can't actually go there and say this actually isn't working. So they're down looking at all these tactics of how do we flip something in search to try and get a 40% delta. And I'm sitting there going, it will never happen, guys. We need to diagnose and get alignment of what is holding us back. And then other businesses, the executive team go, I don't want to hear that. Look at something else. So I Unless you can really diagnose what is holding your organisation back and being open to it and going, hey, we've tried it and it didn't work and it's still our number one problem or our number one challenge, let's revisit it and have another crack. The diagnosis in the industry is completely flawed. If you're talking agency right now, everyone is so quick to sell a tactic. I need more leads. Where's my leads lever? I need more revenue. Where's my revenue lever? They jump to what's the next SEO strategy, social media strategy, I need a new creative. Without diagnosing, is that actually the problem? Is our product off? Do we have a brand problem? What
0: is Macro the challenge? economic problem maybe like even?
1: Is it there's something going on? Has the has the market actually moved? Do we need to reposition? Like really diagnose the heart of what's holding you back rather than just getting to the tactical lever and trying to jump on it. And I see this as a real challenge in the industry for both marketers that are really short-term and they're looking at the month. We're behind. I need to hit this month. You're like, okay, tactic lever. Rather than going, no, I need three to four months to actually solve this problem properly and we're going to hit it out of the park. But it's the short and the long and the tension that sits in between.
0: It's funny. I was just talking about this the other day. I'm like, what percentage do you think of all marketing campaigns? And we're talking about marketing communications here, advertising. Do you think exist just because they're compensating for deficiencies in core strategic missteps, like pricing, promotions, product, etc.? Like excluding the promotions, p. If you had to give a sort of a rough eyeball of all the campaigns you see, like
1: uh, I would easily go north of eighty <laughs> percent.
0: Oh, jeez, that's big. <laughs>
1: But you go, why?
0: Why? Well, I think uh, this is my hypothesis. I think it's easy. It's like you can go somewhere and someone's going to sell it to you, number one, and they're going to promise it to you and go, yeah, this this is a campaign. I would get it up and running. You know, we can buy some media, put some mediocre creative together and it'll be visible. You'll kind of see it. We can see some volume metrics. Everyone will be like in the meeting going, oh, wow, our, our reach went up or this metric that doesn't mean anything went up by, you know, 63%. And maybe you've seen a couple of ads on TV and everyone go, oh, that's awesome. But it doesn't really have any effect because it's flawed it, from the inception. I mean, that's my hypothesis. What What do you see?
1: I think there's several factors. And there's probably three. Number one, marketers become glorified project managers now there's few great marketers out there that really understand it and they're managing six seven eight to upwards of a dozen partnerships and trying to pull it all together and build this machine so in that they're incredibly time poor and they're under resourced to actually do what needs to be done and well look at leadership and management I don't think marketers have done a great job of selling what they do in well because they talk in a completely different language to business metrics. They talk in reach, they talk in brand health, they talk in everything else. But but CEOs go, I don't care. What does that mean in terms of market share, in terms of revenue, in terms of profitability? Talk to my language, which is financial statements, not in marketer's language in tongue, which is it's smoke and mirrors in many different respects. So marketers haven't done themselves any favours in, in creating their own language. And then I look at number three. It, it is really easy to go, hey, we need leads. Here's a, a, a an SEO agency that promises me leads. And then I'm removed. I engage them. It doesn't work. I can fire them and it's not my fault because they promised us something and didn't deliver. So I still keep my job but it looks like we've done something. So yes, it's under resourced. It's not understanding what marketing really is. And and there's not enough time looking at the core issues and the diagnosis of because everyone's running on the on the rat wheel trying to survive and hit this month's numbers rather than really playing like a Tesla game. We go, how do I create amazing product that is incredibly well-engineered, has a huge amount of talkability about the factors. You look at every product they launch, it has two or three items on it that if you own one, you want to go and tell a dozen of your friends, look at my going doors, look at my key.
0: So, okay, brand- I think there's two big things I want to talk about because I've just personally done this for a client. All they were doing was spending lots of money, tens of thousands of dollars a month on Facebook and Instagram ads, right? And that was the main source of the business. As we know, the past couple of years, that has taken a, a bit of a hit price has gone up, yields have gone down. It's, it's now I've crunched the figures. I found the UN economics are, are negative. Um, but the impression was, and it used to be the case, that it's a really powerful medium. There was a lot more organic reach. A lot more people were on it before TikTok sort of took over a lot of market share. And I've seen that organically gone down. And then the paid effectiveness also go down and the price has gone up. So you have this like triple whammy effect almost. So I crunched the numbers the other day. I'm like, what the hell is happening here? Now, they had an internal team, and then during COVID, they got hit, so they sort of had, had to outsource everything to agencies. Went with one agency, you know, oh, it didn't really work. Went to another agency, oh, it didn't really work. Went with another one, outsourced it to, uh, to another country who was then doing this sort of work, which agencies outsource generally the labor to anyway, and, and that sort of didn't work as well. And what I noticed is that there was no strategy. There was no thought about even what's our product architecture, how do we cross-sell and and upsell people what is the step on the door product like just basic stuff you would learn in, in product marketing and sales right um and then there was there was no oversight on just that day-to-day hard slog stuff that works like contacting people to partnership with you know getting into other newsletters doing a co-promotion thing like all that stuff that generally agencies don't do because the labor overheads are too high and it's too specific sort of work that are very organizational specific but that's the that's the meat and bones of a business that you don't outsource but someone needs to do it right so they had no one doing that they had no one doing sales either so there was a is a void of just basic sales process so getting lots of leads but there was no how do we handle these it was just oh here's a link to our product page buy now kind of thing there's no well what questions can i answer oh, here's an faq page here's a here's a video like all that sort of sales enablement piece that Uh, is really needed when you're selling a high risk perception service product, right? So it's just like general operational hygiene and process and then strategic piece, which hadn't ever been done. What is our brand? Uh, You know, they contracted it to this brand agency who gave them a a fluffy template. they just like gobbledygook kind of brand speak that has no meaning and that could be relevant to any brand in the existence of anything. So it was kind of like, well, there's no positioning, there's no tone of voice or brand. So then they couldn't brief anybody to do the work and a come back on brand. So like, just a whole litany of things I think that at an organizational level they should have at core before you then go to an agency or anybody to do any work. And I just noticed no one knew how to do this stuff. So coming back to your void of strategic thinking, if you've outsourced your whole job to agencies or third-party providers your whole life and avoid accountability, you don't actually have these skills to start with. So that's the problem that I see.
1: I completely concur because you've got marketers now, especially over the last decade, it's a digital marketing stream, which is very tactical. Yep. You know, you're either call it social or meta-based or you're Google search base and you're a digital marketer. But you're not a marketer. You're a tactician. Yes. So tacticians have a recipe. So to your example, you've got someone that was using social media that was more potent two years ago, even 12 months ago. It's lost its potency for a range of different reasons. But if you're a tactician in that space, you go back there to try and use the next best tactics for that channel rather than stepping back and going, is it the best channel we should be using? Why is it broken? What else should we be doing? And, And this is where you're looking at, and I love the saying, Consultants or tacticians have a recipe. Masters have a cookbook. Mm. And when you get a great marketer that can see everything and all the challenges that may persist and, more importantly, the opportunities that are there, that is the cookbook that you need. It's not a new tactic. And this is where you need to step back before you can actually go forward. And that a lot of brands don't have the patience for or they don't even want to entertain the conversation around.
0: Mm. But, but, I mean, they do use consultants, um, and I have seen this, strategic consultants, um, which vary I've, in my experience. Stop. Yeah.
1: Consultants. <laughs> consultants have a recipe. They have a machine. Right. I am a consultant, and this is the copy and paste I want to sell to you, and I want to sell to you. It is the same recipe. It is not a cookbook. And that is the challenge is when you go to a consultant, they've got a default that they'll want to use. Mm-hmm. It's not an unblinked approach, but sorry to interject, but I see it day in, day
0: out. Well, you know what I notice because I do workshops, I do strategy workshops, but it's, it's actionable strategy. It's not a planning document. It's not a template. And I'm really keen about these things take me ages to create because I actually have to think about it. I have to get in. Uh, customize information from different sectors. And then I have to augment it based on that specific situation the business is in. And I think that's what gets lost is like, where are you in the market? Are you small, medium? What are your operations like? Can you actually even execute the things if I suggest you to do them? Is there political appetite to even admit that you know some of these things need addressing in the first place? So I'm constantly having to mass personalize um, each one of these. And when I go back and review the ones I've done, I'm like, they're not even similar to one another. Like some things I'll completely delete because I'm like, I know it's important, but they're just not going to ever go there. So I'll put a paragraph on it and we will say, we'll come back to them in six months, you know? I mean, I think yeah, this templatization and the biggest consultancies do this really well. Obviously you've got to scale a service, which is inherently unscalable. What you do? You create templates, you reuse passages of text from other things and you just have this sort you of know, like mail merge-y sort of... Um, uh, program that you use to, to modify templates. But I think what gets lost in that is that contextualization of, of situational awareness of where you are and all that stuff is like very different for every single company I do this work for. And, and I'm just really conscious of that. And it's a terrible business model because I just have to sink so much of my time into it. And I'm just like, Oh, I should probably not do this. Cause how do I, Duplicate this. How do I make this faster? And it's uh, a really hard it's, problem to solve. So.
1: but it is, but it is a terrible business model because it's not scalable. And, and the challenges and the headwinds are, are: it takes a long time because you've got to get to know the challenges and the opportunities. So it's it's not a fast turnaround. Number two, it's expensive because it's not templated. You can't just take what I did from that client and just send it to you and just change a few things. So yeah, it's it's three to five times more expensive than other solutions out there. And it will take probably three to five times as long. So that's not appealing from a sales perspective for a client going, hang on, it's going to be more expensive and it's going to take a long time. That's a horrible pitch.
0: Well, that's the thing. And coming back to pitches, I think I, coming back to the reality is, okay, you know, we're kind of talking about the state of play in the agency and, and marketing world right now, but the forces, I think that the it's so competitive. Everybody has to overpromise uh, over above somebody else. So if I went in and said, and pitched, you know, on a piece of work or, you know, to a client. And I said, oh, look, the reality is you're kind of screwed. And you know, there's going to be a lot of hard work and we're going to have to use a lot of channels that are pretty grubby that you aren't really glamorous, but they'll work. And if you want to do that, then it's it's going to solve your problem. Versus someone else is like, hey, we should do this metaverse AR VR thing and maybe a bit of like this um this new sort of format on TikTok or whatever. And like politically that has a lot of capital because there's a couple of buzzwords that then the executives can kind of go oh well we're getting on this buzzwordy thing and it's really cool and and i can see that political capital versus what the business actually needs is often in conflict with one another
1: i think the big thing is is you need appetite from organizations to be open a to seeing what's and all what's the problem but it's then sharing the diagnosis first before you even get to the solution. I think far too many organisations jump to the solution without even looking at the diagnosis. They're looking at symptoms. They've got a pain in their knee and it's from their spine and sciatica and it's running down their knee and it, that's actually what's causing it, which is actually root cause from, from, you know, their back. But they're going to the knee surgeon that's looking at a knee reconstruction you know, because he can sell a knee reconstruction You've got to understand what the problem is that you're trying to solve before you jump into the solutions. So, yeah, mate, I think it's, it's, it's a massive problem in market. Agencies don't help it because they're so quick to try and sell their product. And, and mate, I, the reason I got into agencies is because I hated them. Uh, like I wanted to create an agency that was very nearly an anti-agency. Well, you you go in there and most agencies will go in there, they'll promise the world, they'll try and create massive margins once they're in there, and then they'll feast on their bones for one, two, three years and churn and burn and they'll move on to the next, whether it's a creative agency trying to sell a big idea that's not going to work but, hey, it's going to win them an award and that award's going to win them another four clients, awesome, self-interest for the agency rather than going, what's actually going to work? Um, like looking at agencies that want clients for life and, and understanding what needs to be done is, is a very different game. And again, not as profitable, but it's systematic.
0: Who's going to diagnose though. I mean, this is what it comes down to like who is that person that's going to go in and go actually goes, um, you know, let's take the wool off your eyes and this is the way it is. Um, that to me requires, and I've done it before, a lot of different knowledge in a lot of different areas because there could be some weird, very, deep level things that are affecting as you said symptomatic level but all come back to a certain cause. um like who do you know that does that well i mean is there a position you either
1: need you either need a a generalist in some ways that's very good across many different things but great at interrogating and getting to root cause Hmm. someone that like and again it requires research of market industry product and what's going on so it's an individual, or I would nearly argue it's a group or team that have areas of specialization that work together to actually really diagnose
0: root cause. Yeah. And I think this is in the growth world, and I hate to use this term growth, but like we use uh, growth, cross-functional growth teams. So you'll have and in a tech world, this is different, but I've used this in non-tech uh, where you have an engineer or a sort of production kind of person. Say it's the production line person, if you're FMCG uh, in the product area, then you'll have, um, you know, the distribution person over there. You'll have the data person or analyst over there that has all sort of data. Um, you'll have a, a lead who's leading it. You'll have a set sort of metric or set of metrics that all come back to a convergence point of like a North star metric. And you're all coming from different areas and you work together to like singularly focus on achieving a goal over a set time period. And you're pulling in if needed um, expertise from, from your own department and resources as needed, but you work as this kind of team rather than as part of like isolated departments. And you're empowered generally uh, with authority from someone quite senior to execute and make changes um, that are necessary to achieve that goal. And, and, I've just found that process is like so good at getting something done that actually moves the needle um, way more mm. than these siloed sort of departments. Sort of, which but
1: is that, that's of what happens. does move the needle. And if you want to move the needle in a, in a really significant way, I'd go, that is your number one lever, but it's going to take time and quite a, quite a significant investment in resources to get there. Cause otherwise you've got people that have, have an agenda. Mm. They want to protect some information or, Or shape it the research in a way that enhances their potential narrative that they've had internally so you need unbiased individuals that actually don't care about what's been said historically we need the truth without having a set agenda or something to sell at the end of it i see the writing on the wall of any brand that that throws out their distinctive brand assets they look at that what has got them to where they are they think they're better than that now and they can take it a, a completely different tangent I, I go that's only six 12 18 months away from from disaster
0: i see that all the time but i, I think it comes from a political now like new cmo comes in they need to put their stamp on authority you can't use the old person's work really like are you going to use their old agency the old jingle the old assets like if you're trying to put your stamp on your role you've almost got to put a line in the sand politically we know from a business perspective that's terrible but it happens it's the rebrands the new websites the new agency it's the usual kind of playbook i'd I'd go as a cmo
1: like why would you want to take on a brand that's already flying the work's already been done yeah so then i go the brand's flying which has typically got all the hallmarks of what you just shared Hmm. i'd rather go into a brand where they've got none of that and it actually needs all of it because none of it is ever the architecture hasn't been put in place to win and then you can ride that wave. That seems fun and exciting to me as a marketer rather than taking something that's already playing nearly top of their game.
0: It does. But at the same time, I mean, on average, you're going to get fired uh, after two, two 2.2 years, regardless of what you do anyway. So like, what's the what's the point of then creating all that sort of infrastructure for the next person to sort of take anyway? It's, you know, politicians trying to create this five-year project, Fast Rail. What you are saying,
1: John? is being a marker is a horrible job. Is that what you're trying to say?
0: I'm just saying it's politically, it's going to be a negative experience. And that's why I think you have to do so much work. You don't really get the reward for it and you're going to get fired anyway. So I think that's just precipitating the sort of short-termism political capital.
1: I agree. And I think that's what's fueled a lot of the conversation we've just had. But if you are a marketer, I think the key thing to really look at is the leadership team. You know, where are they at? What do they want? Are they open to testing? Are they open to trying new things? Are they open to some failure? Mm. Like yes or no. Are they very rigid that you need to have a narrative that 100% of the decisions I've made are bankable and they're winners? That's not possible for any marketer, for anyone. You cannot have 100% bankable winners. It just doesn't happen. Because if someone is sharing that information to you, you know they're hiding
0: shit. <laughs> so okay so you need to dispel the myth of like this success kind of thing and you know do this kind of eye campaign and everything's going to be solved i think number one number two you mentioned getting over your metrics and this is something just before we finish i wanted to cover because this is kind of what precipitated this call which is about speaking the language of the business and i've seen the same thing they talk about metrics that nobody cares about inside the business. And I only deal with executive level, which is all about financials, about marginal upticks, it's revenue, it's it's new customer acquisition. We don't care about reach or anything like that. It's all a downstream sort of symptomatic uh, metric. So I was creating a bit of like a guidebook of depending on where you are in the stage of business, what things to measure internally for your department and perhaps to your agency partners, and then also what you're reporting to the board about and other executives. So I know you do a lot of work in focusing on these sort of deeper level metrics, which is rare. (laughs) Most agencies will avoid that at all costs. Does that change your reporting? Like, tell me about how you work with your clients and the executive on that.
1: Look, it's a very good question. And we typically do better with CEOs and exec teams than we do with marketers. And it's why CEOs love what we do, because we talk their language. We talk, here's what you did, here's what you invested here's what it looked like to your bottom line. You know, good story, bad story, but here's what we learned and here's what we're going to do next time. So there's a very clear narrative around it. And that comes down to pure investment. What was the ROI on bottom line? Increased customer base. You know, was it new customers existing? What's the blend look like? And what does that actually mean to the business? And more importantly, looking at where do you want to go as a business and how do we orientate your marketing capital to get you there and and more often than not we need to have some pretty courageous conversations just going it's never going to happen and if you want someone to do it for for you it's not us because I have no faith that what you're giving us we can actually get there I'd rather have that conversation now than in six months time And, and they're pretty courageous conversations that are rare but you have to be able to join the dots and this is where I think marketing hasn't done themselves any favors of creating their entire own language of media and reporting that that is like reading
0: like mental availability and stuff like that like i just see ceos going what the hell are you talking about like cool but also what the fuck
1: (laughs) But, but ceos are smart people it feels like you're justifying language for something that's that's really ordinary or not great and you're trying to tell me it's good but it doesn't look good on my financial statement so you know, help me understand. And I think that's the problem with marketers. I think marketers could do themselves a world of good by trying to talk more like a a CFO CEO and aligning there rather than talking like a marketer and being siloed.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So measurement systems, then you've got a reporting system, like let's delve into the bit more tactfully um, how you do these measurement systems. Again, the, the sort of common thing that comes up is like, well, it's really hard to tie marketing things back to sales. What do you say to that and what measurement systems do you put in place to give that confidence at an executive level?
1: Well, there's three and there's three different platforms that, that we use depending on what the outcome is and, and what we need to report on. So you go from an above the line perspective, Great, right? You've got reach. That means nothing to anyone, especially a CEO. How many people did we reach? brilliant did they do anything did we actually form any favorable branded memory structures in their minds but even that doesn't mean anything to my bottom line I go I invested what came back so this is where we need to talk their language and you either need to look at this is what we invested this was the increase in web traffic and this web traffic converted at this and this means why to revenue so you need to be able to join the dots Um, and it's hard And it's challenging and it's not the same for every business. You need a high level of customization to get there. And this is why a lot of the -the off-the-shelf products don't work.
0: Speaking of that then, because we're talking about this last-click attribution, you know, off-the-shelf analytics, looking conversion, common. we know how terrible that is, but a lot of people do it, especially these digital tacticians. Then it's like multi-touch attribution, which is like multiple channels digitally contributing to some kind of online conversion, right? And you can kind of track them via UTM codes and weightings and that kind of thing. That gives you a bit of a more rounded picture, but again, skews the digital. And we know there's like cross-channel effects that come in here, which, you know, make it really hard to, to, to calculate. And then there's been a lot of discussion with the whole iOS 14 update with Facebook that's been hitting and getting rid of 50% of the conversion columns in last click and MTA. And in terms of like, it's good, now these digital marketers are going, well, what do we do? I can't rely on that and how many conversions do we get? I don't know. And there's a bit of a void. And the solution at the minute that everyone's talking about is these MMM models. Again, most of which are off the shelf. What is your thought on that? And, and maybe the next step up from that?
1: Look, MMM off the shelf, again, it's that copy and paste. Feeding your data sources and that's what it looks like and that's what you get. If you're feeding in ordinary data, you're going to get ordinary out, outputs. And I, and I think you're going to see a real bubble of MMM. Yep. You're going to have a lot of people go to it, but you're also going to have a lot of people flee just as fast as soon as they start optimising for what's not working and, and you know, uh, they will no longer believe in that platform, which will be a challenge, I think, for MMM in the next two, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think they're right in the, the peak of harvest or coming into right now.
0: If you're trying to implement these things. You need to have clean data. You need to have done the tests, incremental testing, before any of that model is kind of useful.
1: You do, but you need to have the right data inputs as well, and it needs to be incredibly robust because if you're missing one data source that's actually critical to the whole model, it it changes the learnings 300%. Like you've got to have the right inputs, and that's where you need someone to actually create a customised model for you and making sure that you've got all the right inputs. So that's where I look at MMM. It's great, but it's got to be highly customised to your category, your business, and your industry. So I do think I'm very positive I'm an MMM, but there's few that are doing it well. And if you're looking at any of your MTAs or, or, again, I go back to a conversation I had with one of the heads of Google, which which a good friend of mine, and this was about 18 months ago, and he's like, John, oh, the interesting thing about full funnel attribution is this. Around the world, we feel at Google, there's about 10 brands that are actually getting close to it and they've built the platforms themselves. Everyone else is just making themselves feel good.
0: Wow, that's a big statement, (laughs) but it's true. I've seen very It is.
1: People want certainty. Humans crave certainty. It's part of life. We want to wake up in the morning, know that there's food in the cupboard, our shower and water is going to run. We crave certainty and marketers, they need to give certainty to the organisation we're making good calls. So there's going to be more and more demand for these style of products. The challenge is, is most of these products aren't going to give you you know, a hundred percent certainty of what's working, what's not. You know, at best, you're probably sitting at that 75, 80 percent of of a good read of this is this is what's showing positive sign. But on the flip side as well, the market is changing so fast. What worked last month, things are changing overnight. You've got like literally last night's announcement with with Putin, that changes things overnight. You've got changes to to interest rates happening repeatedly food shortages, like the market is shifting so fast that that you need a good, you need to be looking out the front as much as you're looking out the back.
0: Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, thanks for your time. Thanks again, John. I really appreciate the talk and putting sort of a active practitioner spin on what you're seeing with multiple clients in the market and and some of the challenges they're having. So uh, thanks again for your time. Thanks, John. So there you go, an unfiltered delve into the world of media measurement. And John Rowley certainly tells it like it is on that one. And if your company cares about bottom line results instead of vanity metrics with media spend, reach out to him and mention this podcast for extra special treatment. And that's the second time he's been on the show. So if you're interested in media strategy and digging his vibe, check out the form episode we did in season two, episode four. And that forms another part of our five part measurement mini series. Remember to check out Elisa Choi for sentiment tracking, Michael Kaminsky for MMM, Edgar Baum for brand tracking and Kuhn Pauls for econometric modeling. I might do one more on this topic and that should give you a really solid understanding of how measurement works in real life. Also check out part one, two, and three of the slide deck series that I've been posting all over social media that really summarizes all of this in a simplified way, which is useful to anyone who's really an active practitioner in the field. And we have a partnership and distribution strategy episode coming up next with Brent Annals. And I talk with John Evans from System One on the difference between small and big brand CMO roles, which uncovers a lot of interesting talking points, some of which really relate to this whole measurement theme as well. And I'm always on LinkedIn or Twitter, so just DM me if you have some questions. Sharing is caring. So if you liked any of these episodes and you can help others out, tell them about it. Post about it on the socials or give this a review on Spotify or Apple or Google or whatever. And reach out and connect with me as well. I won't bite very much. Join the reverse newsletter where I send you an email each month and answer your questions and source information for you, either publicly or privately, instead of the other way around. Go to hybridc.substack.com to sign up right now and to avoid missing the next episode which drops follow this channel and press the alert bell icon to receive notifications on this podcast listening app that you're using right now check out the hybrid City youtube channel where there's over 300 snackable highlights from the full episodes all categorized neatly via the playlist function for your convenience and that's really growing too so over 7,000 views and counting and it's a just a great way to try before you buy into a 50-minute podcast episode but that's all for now thanks for listening